Well, good morning, church. Welcome to part four of this series that we are doing entitled A New You as we work through the the book of Ephesians. As we've already said, this book of Ephesians is uh, split into six chapters. And the first half, chapters one, two and three kind of work through this uh, doctrinal, theological viewpoint of the Christian faith. And then as we move into the second half, which is what we're starting this morning, kind of chapters four through six, we begin to look at uh, something that's a bit more practical, how to walk, how to talk, how to live the life of a Christian. So we're going to kind of jump into that second half from this morning and work all the way through to the end of this book I hadn't uh, necessarily intended for this series to be running into the new year, but if we continue on course as we are at the minute, then we'll set to be wrapped up on the first Sunday of of January. And actually, I think that works quite well because, you know, I hope and pray that as we continue through and complete this study that you will, like like I have, get a greater desire and passion inside of you to, to do better, to try harder, to live more like the new you and I'm going to try to live more like the new me as we step into 2020 and the reality is that it's better than any other new year's resolution that you could make to you know whether that's to hit the gym more or to get a new job or to find the one whatever thoughts your thoughts might be on uh, you know new year's resolutions for 2020 can I suggest that this be at the top of your list to live more consistently as the new you. You know, the Bible says that those who put their faith in Jesus are in fact a new creation, transformed from the inside out and set free to live like the new you. And that looks like new priorities, new ways of thinking, walking, living, relating to our money, relating to other people that are in our world. We are, the Bible says, brand new so our outlook, our attitude, our objectives, plans, purposes, priority, priorities, it's, it's all new. And as we've already said, kind of sometimes we'll, we'll have relapses and we'll, we'll drift into that old way of living, that old self. You know, maybe we will use some choice words while we're out driving on the motorway, for instance. I, I don't know what, what you fall into when you slip back into the old you, but, but just because you relapse, hear this, Hear this, just because you fall back into that old way of living, it does not negate at all from the spiritual reality that we are, in Christ, brand new. You know, I heard something maybe about a month ago, I think it was uh, Charlotte Gamble who said, why not get a head start on your New Year's resolutions? Why not get a head start on your New Year's resolutions? And, And I thought... That's a, that's a great idea. And I decided, as well as the usual lose weight and get fit New Year's resolution, I decided that I was going to read the Bible in a year. And for anyone who's, who's kind of done that challenge, it, it is just that. It's a challenge, but it's also a pleasure to do, isn't it, as well, to, to spend all that time in God's Word, to really get to know and to work your way through the whole of this fantastic book. So I kind of heard that word from from Charlotte and I said to myself, do you know what, why don't I get a head start on this New Year's resolution? So I'm three weeks in already and it's not even the new year yet. So that gives me a little bit of grace for when I inevitably slip up and miss a day when I get cracking in 2020. 
You know, but the reality is that we don't need to wait until Big Ben chimes to start being intentional about living like the new me and the new you. So I encourage you, let's make a decision to start right now to get a head start on our 2020 resolution to live more like Jesus. Does that sound good? Amen. Why don't we, uh, why don't we pray? Father God, we just thank you that you are incredible, that you are amazing, and that you are for us. And I just pray that as we continue to go through this series, that you will highlight to us and show us the ways in which we can become more and more like you. I pray that you will empower us by your Holy Spirit to be able to walk in that more consistently, to be able to live like and love like and talk like and walk like you as you came down to earth in human form as Jesus Christ, that we can take that example of the perfect way to live the Christian life and we can put that into action here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Why don't you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses from uh, this chapter. It's the second half of the chapter starting at verse 17. In my Bible, it's entitled The New Life. Everyone say The New Life. Okay, so we're going to read this. Uh, this portion of scripture, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What an incredible portion of scripture that really summarizes the point that we're getting across in this series, A New You. Parents in the room, let me talk to you guys for a second. I don't know about you, but I think that we try our best, don't we, to raise our kids well. We try, you know, and do as best as we can to to teach them right, to show them the difference between right and wrong, to show them that that the rules and, and the ways to do life well. We kind of teach them and show them, hopefully through the way that we live our lives, you know, that this is how you can do life and do it well. Because we want them ultimately, don't we, to be happy. We want them to find happiness. We want them to find peace and joy and love. That's what we want for our kids, isn't it? And ultimately what we want for our kids is that they would get to know God, that they would, you know, not just try and jump on the back of our relationship with God, but that they would find their own revelation of who he is to them, that they would find God and, and maybe that they would find a husband or wife and, and ultimately that they would be happy in life. But sometimes, and this is the reality of, of parenthood, isn't it? Sometimes we see them taking the wrong path. We see our kids making bad decisions. 
parents. And it's in these moments that we ourselves as parents have a decision to make. We can either let them make the mistake and hope and pray that they learn from it, or we can sit them down and say, that's not the way I raised you. Be who you really are. That's not the way I raised you. Be who you really are. And I believe that God here, through Paul, is telling the church of Ephesus and in turn us as followers of Jesus Christ to be who you really are. And he does it in a typical Hebrew manner. In in ancient Hebrew, oftentimes when they're arguing towards a particular point, they would start in the negative and then move to the positive. So bear with us for a minute because it's about to get a little bit a little bit negative, but the positive's coming, okay? So what Paul begins by doing is outlining for us what a life apart from God, a life removed from the love and life and grace of Jesus Christ looks like. And this isn't the first time we've seen it in Paul's letter, is it? Because he's already outlined how they're living, where they've been going wrong. So here in chapter 4, Paul is continuing and, and actually reminding the Ephesians what they've been saved from. He's reminding them the life that they were living before they met Jesus and have now fallen back into that way again as he's writing to them. Now remember, his audience, the people who are reading this letter, have already experienced a new life, a new creation. They've experienced God's saving grace. Or in simple terms, they've already become Christians. And so Paul is stepping in here and saying to them, that's not the way you were taught. Be who you really are. Be who you really are. Verse 17, he says, don't walk or live or act like the Gentiles do. What he's meaning by this is, don't live like you don't have a relationship with God. Because you do have a relationship with God. Because when you're living as though you don't have a relationship with him, you're living in the futility of your minds. That's how he describes it. Futility means pointlessness, uselessness, aimlessness. So that's the way in which you're living when you're living like your old self. But you have a mind. But, but when you're living apart from God and you're separated from your saviour, your mind is useless. You fail to live in the manner with which you were designed. We were all created by God right back at the beginning of creation. And God gave mankind a mind and a brain. He gave us, he put that inside of our heads for one purpose. And and that is ultimately to comprehend our creator, to understand the person of God. But Adam and Eve used their own free will to choose that which was contrary to God's plan for their life. And God called that sin. And so sin entered the world and in essence, it short-circuited our brains. So now our brains are incapable of fulfilling that which they were created for at the beginning of time. So we can gather data and we can gather information and facts and figures. But what Paul is highlighting here is that without God, its function is futile. 
we've said already that, that this is going to get a bit negative and, and unfortunately it's going to get worse than this. Yeah, that's right. It's going to get worse than the inability of being able to comprehend and understand the fullness of God's love for us. So let's keep reading. Verse 18, it says, Their understanding was darkened. Their ability to understand God, how he works, his plans, his purposes, they were blinded to it all. He goes on, alienated from the life of God. Listen to this language here. Because of your ignorance, due to the hardness of your heart. You know, we talked about desensitization a few weeks ago, didn't we? And, and that's what a hard heart is. When your heart is soft, it breaks easily. When you see suffering, when you see pain, when you experience hurt, your heart breaks when you have a soft heart. But a hard heart is desensitized to it all. It doesn't allow that pain in. It doesn't transfer that, that message of hurt and upset from your heart to your brain because your heart is hard. It's too self-absorbed. It's too focused on the insignificances of your own life to acknowledge the pain that we see in the world around us. You know, I'm glad that barriers and stereotypes are, are being broken down that say that, that real men don't cry. That real men don't cry because crying implies weakness. Now, I don't really uh, mind admitting to you all this morning that, that I'm a weeper. That's right. I weep. I cry at most things. Not, however, at this year's John Lewis ad. Has anyone seen it? Previous years, yes. If you look back to Moz the Monster, the snowman getting the gift for the snow woman, the kid who couldn't wait to give a gift to his parents, bawled my eyes out. Edgar, though, no tears. No tears. Anyone else? But it's good to cry. It's good to feel. It's good to let emotion in. It's good to let it impact us in a real way so that 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 our hearts can be soft and the message of pain and hurt and that emotion can get from our hearts to our brains and we can react accordingly. And what Paul says here is that actually, without God, we have a hardness of heart. And he goes on to explain what that looks like. He says, someone that is hard of heart has given themselves up to sensuality. Now, sensuality is a constant pursuit of self-gratification at the expense of those you love the most. It's basically mowing over other people, no thought or care for other people's feelings, as you pursue self-gratification. It's basically selfishness on steroids. I don't care about anyone else. It's all about me and my desires and what I want, I am going to Get it. That's what sensuality speaks into. And then the second thing that he highlights is, is greed, greedy. And that is just, it's about wanting more, isn't it? Just more. I just want more. If it makes me feel good, if it feels right, I want more of it. And then there's never enough. It's that sensation of never being content, never being satisfied. I don't know exactly what the opposite of greed is, but I imagine it could be gratitude. 
So if you're hard of heart, then, then you have an inability to be grateful. You have an inability to be thankful of the reality of how blessed you really are. You can't actually process and recognize how good you've got it. And then he goes on, doesn't he? Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, impurity, there's, there's many kinds, but this is rooted in this context in the idea of reckless sexual behavior. So what Paul is saying is that those who are hard of heart are living from an attitude of pursuit of self-gratification. That life has never given you enough. And, and these people are rarely thankful for how they've been blessed. And they're reckless in their sexual behavior. And here's what I love about Paul. We've, we've already seen it a couple of times in this letter. He lays down a whole load of really brutal truths. He takes it to the most negative point that he possibly can. And then he makes this colossal transition. And that's what we see here. He says, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but... But, thank God for that but. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming, he goes on, assuming. Now, now I don't know about you, but I was raised to believe that if you assume something, it does something to you and me. But here, Paul throws in an assumption. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that the way you heard about Jesus is the same way that I heard about Jesus. And what you learned about Jesus is the same as what I learned about Jesus. But actually based on the activities that you're participating in, based on what I'm hearing about how you're living your life, then maybe my assumption is not accurate. So this begs the question, doesn't it? How did we learn about Jesus? How did we hear about Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you really know Jesus? You see, what we have, all of us, is an old life, how we lived without Jesus, and a new life, how we live with Jesus. And there's this middle bit, isn't there? There's this bit in the middle that's key, the way in which we met Jesus that moment where we went from our old self to meeting Jesus and transitioning into our new self. So Paul's writing and he's saying, I see how you're living right now, but that's not the way you learned Jesus. Is it? He's almost asking that question, isn't he? It, this is what I'm assuming, but, but, but maybe that's not Maybe that's not true. You see, I assumed that you learned about Jesus, that, you know, 
You learnt about life and death and resurrection and ascension and kingship and conquering death and sin and hell and our adoption and his power alive and at work within us. But but wait, do, do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus? Do you know about Jesus or do you actually know him? You see, religion is knowing about Jesus. But Christianity is, is relationship, isn't it? It's actually knowing Jesus. Remember, this is Paul, formerly Saul, who on the way to kill Christians, he didn't just learn about Jesus, he met Jesus. He was totally and utterly impacted by Jesus. He was brought from the bad guys to join the good guys. He was brought from death into life. So he's writing to this church out of an assumption that they've had some kind of revelation of God for themselves. Not in exactly the same way that he did. It's not like they all had this road to Emmaus moment in their lives. I don't think that's what we're seeing here. But he's expecting that they've had some kind of moment with Jesus. Some kind of moment of revelation. He's assuming that they don't just now know about God's transforming power. But that they've been transformed by his power. But then he's looking at their actions and he's, he's in absolute despair and confusion, isn't he? He says to them, that's not how you learned Christ. You were taught him as the truth. Him who knew no sin and yet took all sin on himself so that we could be pulled out of sin and death and placed into life. So that you could be lifted out of your old self and become the new you. That, that's the truth that, you know that, right? We're on the same page, aren't we? Are, we? are we all singing from the same hymn sheet here? You were dead, but now you're alive. Remember, Christianity isn't about bad to good or, or good to great or, or great to even greater. It's about death to life. It's about rebirth. It's about us becoming a new creation, becoming everything that God planned and proposed and purposed for us in the beginning. About wiping out all of the, dis- the death and the destruction that came from that moment in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve messed up and made the wrong decision. It's about replacing all of that stuff that happened. It's about getting rid of all of the sin, all of our bad decisions, not only the bad decisions from our past and our present, but also all of the bad decisions that we'll make in the future. And it's about bringing us back into relationship, into oneness, into wholeness with our God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You know, if you want assurance that you're going to heaven this morning, let me tell you, you just need to believe. It's that simple. You just need to believe and you're in. You're saved. You see, we can't strive to get into heaven. We can't do anything to earn our way 
into heaven. We can't work our butts off to get forgiveness. Forgiveness is being offered to us on a plate. We just need to say, wow, thank you very much. I'll take it. Just believe and, and you're saved. It's as simple as that. That is the, the wonderful nature of the gospel. That is the incredible way in which Jesus loves us. That is how powerful this good news message is because we don't need to do anything. We just need to believe. We just need to say, wow, God, thank you. I accept your gift. I accept your gift. So if you want assurance of where you're going after you die, you just need to believe. It's that simple. But if, if you want to take it a bit further, if you want a, a fulfilling and satisfying journey with Jesus and life on this earth before we get to heaven, then the reality is that something's got to change in our lives. Do you know what's great about Christianity? Do you know what's great about this, this faith that we profess from this platform? The reality is that you don't change to become a Christian. You don't change to become a Christian. You change because you're a Christian. Let me say that again. You don't change to become a Christian. You change because you're a Christian. We no longer need to live in the deadness and darkness of our own selves. Because when we accept Jesus into our lives, we're free. We're liberated to, to live the life that we were meant to live. We can we can begin to look and, and walk and talk and, and love like the real me and the real you. Not, not the old you, not the dead you, not the pre-Jesus you, but the new you, the post-Jesus you. The I've accepted this incredible gift of forgiveness you. You see, when we accept that gift, something in us changes and we have relationship with God and we have access to heaven when we die but actually more than that happens because something within us begins to change and we have this we now have this this desire to want to live more like Jesus you know if when if you accept this gift of forgiveness from from Jesus if you say yeah i, I acknowledge that that i messed up that i i was a sinner that I was dead, but now I accept this gift of forgiveness. I accept that you are my creator. I accept that you love me. If you go through all of that and then nothing within your heart changes, if you don't then have a desire to want to be more like God, you've got to question whether you're really grasping hold of the truth. And that comes back to this moment, doesn't it, where, where Paul kind of asks them, do you know about Jesus or do you actually know him because if you know about him then maybe you'll just accept it and carry on living like you have always lived but if you really know Jesus if you have a relationship with Jesus if he becomes not only your friend but your heavenly father then we would want to please him 
We would want to go above and beyond any expectations that there may be to do everything that we can to be all that we can be, to give everything that we've got to back to him. To say, God, I, you've done so much for me because you paid the ultimate price so that I can have relationship with you. So, so I just want to give what little I can of me back to you. I want to give of my finances. I want to give of my time. I want to give of my gifts. I want to give of my talents and abilities and passions. I just want to give it all back to you because you've done so much for me. So I want to bless you. I want to bless you. You see, when we accept Jesus into our lives, we can finally, we can finally get back to the way it was supposed to be. Back in the very beginning, when God created man and he walked with man in the garden and they just hung out together and they had conversations and they just did life side by side. That's the way it should be. But then sin came into the world and, and severed that relationship and then we were separated from God. And that is not the way it was supposed to be. That's not way, the way God had intended it to be. He always wanted it to be us and him. For us to have a loving relationship with him. For us to walk with him and talk with him and do life together. And so when we accept Jesus into our lives, we're, we're free to begin to walk in that. To begin to realize that. To begin to work that out in our lives. It makes sense, doesn't it? And whether you've been a Christian for 10 minutes or, or 10 years, I think we know, don't we, that that's how we should live, that that's how life should be. We know it. And yet still, if we're honest, we find ourselves asking the question, but, but how exactly do I do that? Because all the stuff that I do, the things that I keep kind of falling back into, that I know don't belong to the new me that I've been created and released into living, all that stuff that I know shouldn't be, I still do it. So how exactly do I stop doing the things that I know I shouldn't do? Now there's a question. There's a question. There are some verses in the Bible that are just plain weird. Have you noticed that? If you read your Bible often enough, you will stumble across some truly bizarre phrases and sentences. It, just have a look. Just spend some time. You know, maybe you want to read the Bible in a year like, I'm, like I've started to do. And as you go on that journey, you will, you will be bewildered and befuddled and confused. Uh, and it's just, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. And um, in fact, Ruth and I had this thing a while ago. We haven't done it for some time, but we had this thing where we would, we would write down obscure, random, these weird, utterly nonsensical verses from the Bible in cards to people. So you might receive a birthday card from us that says, happy birthday, whoever you are. Hope you have a great day. Hope God blesses you this next year. Here's a Bible verse. We wouldn't write out the verse. We'd just write out the scripture reference so they would have to go to their Bible 
and find out what it says. But we would have picked the weirdest, most obscure, random Bible verse to put in. It had no relevance to them or their character or the year that was to follow. It was just for fun. It was just for fun. And then we'd know if they'd actually looked it up. Because if they looked it up, they'd probably come back to us and go, what the heck is that about? And and if I'm honest, our old favorite, the one that we preferred to use the most, was, was found in Proverbs 26, verse 11. And I'm not kidding. This is in the Bible. You can look it up for yourselves. It says this, Proverbs 26. Like a dog that re- returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Now imagine getting that on your, on your birthday card. Happy birthday, Dave. Here's a great verse for you. Wow. Thanks. But I feel like the tone and the language that Paul is using here is a little bit like this verse where he's saying, Why, like a dog, are you going back to what your body has rejected? Why are you going back to your old way of living? I mean, when you read that proverb, when, when I spoke those words out loud, I'm thinking, like me, you recoiled a bit. That You were kind of like, ah, oh, that's, that's disgusting. I think I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Any, anyone like that? I mean, it's just that picture is grim, isn't it? It's a grim picture. Let me just tell you, just as an, a, little, a little bit of an aside, I, uh, I remember in, back in my school days, we went on a trip to Blackpool Zoo. Anyone been to Blackpool Zoo? It's a great zoo. And, uh, and we, were, we were watching at one point this giant orangutan. It was massive. It was hairy. It was just sitting there, arms all over the show, just just you know, looking out at the people looking in and thinking, you guys are so weird. Why are you staring at me? And so I'm watching this giant orangutan and then, and then all of a sudden, he throws up. Yes, that's right. He did this. He just... I mean, it was pretty grim, wasn't it? So... So we, I'm watching him and he, and he throws up and then with almost no hesitation, and I'm not exaggerating here, with almost no hesitation, he then begins to scoop it up off the ground. Yep, you guessed where I'm going with this story. He'd scooped up this sick off the ground, this vile looking acidic bile mess that he just rejected out of his mouth and then begin to, began to eat it. He was just shoveling it in like it was, you know, a steak dinner or something. He was just, he was so content to be, to be eat. Oh. Anyone, I can see some of you turning a little bit green around the edges. You know, the, I mean, I was a kid, so I was lapping it up. I was taking pictures. I was calling my friends over, coming, the things that kids love, eh? But it's disgusting, isn't it? It's absolutely disgusting, this this picture that I'm painting. And yet, 
we all do it. That's the reality, isn't it? That, that we all do it. This picture is absolutely vile. It's disgusting. When you describe it like that, you'd say, oh, I would never do that. It's horrendous. It's horrific. I couldn't even imagine a world where I would ever consider eating my own sick. And yet we do it time and time again. Because there's something within me that for some reason, at one time or another, looks at this pile of mess that my body has thrown up, that my body has rejected and goes, hmm, that, that looks pretty appetizing. What? Why? Why on earth would you do that? Now, I know, I know you guys don't struggle with this, but for me, and, and I'm just being honest with you, for me, sometimes the, the stuff that's dead, the stuff that, that was pre-Jesus, the stuff that I used to do, is the stuff that I want to do. The stuff that I know isn't good for me is exactly what I want to do. And so I find myself in this battle where, where I'm being pulled towards doing something that I know I shouldn't do and being presented with this opportunity to, to fall back, to slip back into my old way of living, which in reality is the stuff that my body has rejected and yet I'm returning to it and going, ah, oh, this is great. Even though I'm alive, and this is who I really am. This is the way I should be living. This is the stuff I should be doing. Even though all of that's true, I'm tempted by who I used to be. And all the things that my system have rejected is exactly what I want to take in. Like a dog. Why is that? Why is that? It's disgusting. It makes no sense. And yet we do it. Why? Why can't I just commit? Why can't I just commit to living like the new me? The one I know is in God's will and purpose. Why can't I just follow that path? Why do I keep falling off? Why do I keep slipping back? And Paul says, Paul says it all hinges on, well, if we look between verse 22 and verse 24 is verse 23. Between verse 22 and 24 is verse 23. Yep, that's why I'm the pastor. I do study to figure this stuff out. Don't, don't feel intimidated this morning. But between verse 22, put off your old self. And verse 24, put on your new self. There's this external metaphor. Between these two verses is verse 23. And this is where it gets internal. So the external is about putting off your old self and putting on your new self. But then in verse 23, it, it gets a bit more personal. And this is where it moves from religion to relationship, where it moves from knowing about God to knowing to God, because in verse 23 it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You see, we started with the understanding with understanding the futility of our minds, didn't we? And now Paul's saying we need to be renewed in our mind. It's an internal process, an internal change that needs to happen. Getting rid of what's dead and putting on your new self is a matter of your mind. We need to be renewed in our minds. But, but I keep going back. I keep falling back. I keep messing up. I keep reverting back to to the way I used to live so we come to church on Sunday and we we hear from God and we believe that he is so good and yet here I am on Monday and for whatever reason that pile of vomit looks so good We'd never describe it like that, would we? But that's the reality, that on Monday or Tuesday or whenever it is during your week and you're finding yourself, you know, drawn into your old way of living. In light of all the truth that we know about Jesus, about how incredible he is and how much he loves us and how much he's done for us. And and yet I want to turn my back on it just for a moment and give myself to what is dead and lifeless and hopeless and can never satisfy me. Let me give you some, some good news as I close. Everyone say good news. If you've accepted Jesus into your life. If you made that decision to follow Christ, to let him in, to give him control of your life, then then the truth is that his power, his strength, his life is flowing through your blood right now. And so even with this cycle of slipping back into our old selves from time to time, there is hope. There is hope. Because the power of Jesus Christ is alive and at work within us to help us to be who we really are. To help us to live like the new you. To walk and talk and act and love more and more like Jesus. Not in our own strength, but through his power at work in us. Ephesians 3.16 says that you may be strengthened with with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then verse 20 of chapter 3, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that work within us. The secret, the answer, the how that means that we can stop reverting back to our old ways is nothing that we can do on our own. It's got nothing to do with how hard we try. It's got nothing to do with our own personal efforts and energy. Hear this, and with this I'll close. The answer, the secret, the how is not in us, but it's in his power. It's in his power at work within us. His power changing us from the inside out. His power transforming us, his power renewing our minds. It's not in ourself. It's not in anything that we can do, but it's all reliant on God and his power and his spirit at work within us. And that 
whew, it just takes the weight off, doesn't it? It takes the pressure off. It kind of releases us a bit to realize that we don't need to strive. We don't need to push ourselves. We don't need to do anything. We just need to believe, to accept, and then allow His Spirit and His power to work in us, to start to move things around within our spirit, to start to bring order out of the chaos that is in our lives, to pull us out of our old lives and to place us firmly in our new lives so that we can become the new you. So that we can become the new you. Why don't we pray? Father God, we just thank you for this promise that, that, you have, that you have pulled us out of our old way of living and you've placed us firmly in the new. When we accept you into our lives, when we accept this gift of forgiveness that you offer to us freely, when we do that, you take us out of death and place us into life. And I thank you for that promise that we don't need to do or say anything. We just need to give you the freedom. We just need to hand over the, the steering wheel and the driving seat and say, you rule my life, not me. You take control, not me. Your will, not my will. So we give our lives over to you once again this morning because this is not a one-time thing. This is a daily thing, an hourly thing, sometimes a minute-by-minute minute thing that we need to recognize that we need to hand over control. And from time to time, I know that we will we'll try to grab that steering wheel back. And I just pray that you will break that off in our lives. That we won't feel the need to regain control in that sense, but that we'll just release it all. You can have it. Here is my life. It's an offering to you. I give it over to you and I say, you can do it better than I could ever do it. So we give control over to you once again this morning. And we say, let this next week... Let this next year be our best year yet because we have given you control. That we are releasing control. That we are handing it all over to you. Your will be done in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.